Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this week, we are bringing you all the theme, I was married, but I'm better now. <laughs> we just came up with this. Well, Charnel did, so uh, I'm still giggly about it. It's perfect. I've got two cases for you of some females that got just real sick and tired of being married. So prison sounded better. It did. Prison <laughs> was better than being married to these people. I, mm-hmm. I'm here for it. You know, I think that you really will be because there is, a, with the exception of next, our next case, this case, I tell you guys, it's going to be real questionable about who the real victim is in the case. Oh, one of these. Yeah. And it's historical. There's some history to it. So let me just jump right in with both feet. Well, let's do it. I'm going to tell you today about Nellie May Mooney. I won't lie. I picked the case because the name Nellie, I was called Nellie a lot. Charnel. I can see how you were drawn to this. Uh, Yes. And I just think the name Nellie May Mooney is really rolls off the tongue nicely. It's a catcher for sure. It is. So she was born April 5th, 1895. Old timey. We're taking her back. Yep. She was born in Red Rock, Montana. She was the daughter of Edward Mooney and Catherine Doherty Mooney. They were ranchers who immigrated to the United States from Ireland. Oh. And I'm so sorry. That was a terrible, terrible accent. (laughs) We just had an an Irish listener write us this week. She is going to vomit. Please don't leave us. (laughs) Actually, it was very good, I thought. I'm impressed. Her family were immigrants from Ireland. They immigrated in the 1880s, and then she was born in 1895. Now, the Moonies took advantage of the federal government's homestead program that was going on in that you might be familiar with, Amber, of the 1890s. (laughs) And they operated a sheep ranch about a dozen miles south of Dillon, Montana. So they were sheep farmers. Oh, very nice. If you've ever worked with sheep, then you know... How dumb those motherfuckers can be. You know, I never have. I think they're adorable. Oh, they're precious. But. Super precious. All precious, no brains, right? Yes. We know so many people like that. We can't have it all in life. No, no. They're cute. They're fuzzy. That's it. They're dumb. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is why dogs can herd them for fuck's sake. Like, they're just not. My children used to show them in 4-H, and I tell you what, after two years, I was done. Like, nope, we're going back to pigs. We're done with sheep. Good to know if I ever want to be a sheep farmer. Just know that you are the smartest person in the pen. The smartest. (laughs) You are the smartest thing in the pen. Feel good about that. Noted. In a sheep pen. Noted. So Nellie was the youngest of three children. She actually experienced a really untraditional upbringing compared to most women of her time. Some of the things that I'm going to tell you about aren't going to sound strange to us being all the way in 2022, but for 18, the 1890s, late, you know, Mm -hmm. I almost said the late 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, this was unusual for her that she... Their family were very Catholic, 
But her religious instruction was actually given by sporadic visits from a priest who rode horseback to um, like different to minister to different parishioners, like his whole territory, like a traveling priest, if you will. How cool would that be to yeah. just like hop on a horse for your home visit? Bareback. Bareback, yes. <laughs> and ride in the Wild West wow. to all these different houses. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it was not easy work, right? No, probably not. So growing up in uh, secluded on a ranch, she had a big, strong sense of autonomy. She learned to ride a horse bareback as well. She learned to shoot. And as a matter of fact, she was an awesome shot. She was given the nickname Crackshot. Nice. Even before her teens, which would have a different meaning today as I'm watching you laugh about that. I just That's realized. quite a nickname. Listen, I typed these notes out and didn't even think about how ridiculous that sounds today. Hey, different crack meaning shot. Today. Get over here. Yeah. Come here, crack shot. That's just awesome. I love I it. She sounds of- like a badass. Riding horses. Yeah. Shooting guns. Crack with, shots shooting the gun. With precision. I am I'm assuming impressed. that this means she was good with the gun and not that she was showing her crack all the time. Right. Which now I am going to nickname every old man whose crack I see. <laughs> crack a crack shot. shot. Pull your pants up. <laughs> oh, that's great. So even as a teenager, though, Nellie was impulsive. She was especially drawn to brawny men, flashy men. Oh, Nellie, I hear you. For sure, same girl, same. As I married a man who's 5'8". <laughs> <laughs> Love him so much. He's he's mighty with personality. He really is. I mean. Yes, blue eyes and personality. Brawny with personality. <laughs> Here's the thing. She first married at the age of 13. In October 1908, by eloping in Utah with Ralph Brothers, is his name, who was a 24-year-old cowboy. Now, imagine a cowboy rolling in, getting those 13-year-old feelings just stirring. I'm sure. And uh, and today, I'm like, oh, and this 24-year-old was a pedophile. He would be in prison today. Yes, Mm, yes. how, How times have changed. That's right. However, her parents had the marriage annulled. Oh, okay. No, Nellie, you will not be going off with a 24-year-old cowboy. So even in the 1800s, they were they had some some reasonable This was 1908. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my bad. You were like you were so far off. I like how I'm correcting you like, "No, bitch. Hello. It's 1908." Yes. Bring come up with the times here. You, you were only 8 years off. She, it's okay. She was born in the 1800s, so right. 1895. I see that's yeah. that's where my mind was. Yes. Exactly. Back in her birth year. It was me that jumped on you as if you were so wrong. It's it's not. It's all right. It's all right. In 1912, Nellie moved to Boise, Idaho, where she enrolled in Lynx Business College. In Boise, she married a firefighter named Clarence Kennedy in 1917. Now, we aren't sure if she actually divorced Clarence or not, but in 1919... Only two years later, Nellie married a mechanic, Wilbur Earl Trask. Oh. History books are unclear on this. I get it. So did she just go to the next marriage? They probably didn't have a lot of, you know, background checking. No. I mean, you can be anybody that you want. Yeah. Here she is just like, yep, I can, let me get 
married again. Okay, so third third time. Third time. Yep, third marriage. I'm just going to keep my fingers up because it, do. it's going to take a few more. Okay? We're going to be here a while. We are. They moved to, so she, with uh, Wilbur Earl, he liked to go by Earl. So we're just going to call him Earl. They moved to Los Angeles the next year and then divorced soon after. So then in 1925, she married William Brown, a locally prominent lawyer. So now I'm holding up four Mm -hmm. fingers so that you know, fourth husband. In 1930, they divorced. So they were married for five years. And the same year, she moved to the desert community of Palm Springs and became manager of the Desert Inn, which was a hotel that was catering to visiting celebrities. It was a schwank hotel. Schwanker. Yes. In the spring of 1933, Nellie met Eric Madison, a charmer with a dark side. Eric had himself an eye for the ladies, big dreams and schemes. He dressed well, and he drove a sporty 1930 Buick Coupe. Boy. Which just doesn't even sound sexy. <laughs> Not at all, but I uh, bet the panties were dropping. Oh, yes. She was on hot to trot for him. Mm-hmm. In 1933, Eric Madison learned about Nellie because Nellie had a $1,000 family inheritance. And it was at that time that Eric suddenly decided he needed himself a wife. Oh. Sure, it had nothing to do with the $1,000 well, inheritance. No, I'm sure. So he proposes. They had a whirlwind courtship. Now, remember, he's dressed fancy. He drives a sexy car, as sexy as you can get mm-hmm. in 1930. Mm-hmm. And this is like right around the Depression era. So, you know, we're Th- that's very well ha- yeah, to do. For that time, absolutely. Yep. They married in July 1933 in Salt Lake City and then left for Dillon, Montana, where Nellie was able to go collect her $1,000 inheritance. They stayed there for about nine months before returning to Southern California. Both Nellie and Eric went to work at the commissary of Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank. Cool. They moved into an apartment across the street from the studio's back lot. Also, I'm holding up five Thank you. Fingers now. This is her fifth marriage. Eric uh, Madison lasted about two weeks at Warner Brothers Studio before he was fired by the studio boss, Jack Warner, for shouting and shoving director Alfred Green and for overcharging Green by 10 cents for 50 cents worth of cigars. Oh, my. Yeah, so the Jack Warner fired his ass. I guess he had a reason to. Yes, he charged him 60 cents for 50 cents worth of cigars, probably trying to pocket the money, the other 10 cents. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. little swindler. Sleazy, a little. Is that coop even yours, Eric? We don't know. In March 1934, Nellie came home early from a movie to find her husband, Eric, in bed Mm -mm. with a 16-year-old girl. Mm -mm. Okay, Eric, he's. I'm done. Done with him. Well, so was Nellie. <laughs> I was kind of wondering if she... If you didn't want, you know, if you didn't wonder why she was being uh, featured on a true crime podcast. Here it is. 16 years old. The girl screamed and fled. And Eric proceeded to beat Nellie. And bragged. No. Oh, yeah. Bragged that he had tricked her into a fake marriage for her money. 
The beatings continued for six days. I'm going to need crack shot to <laughs> oh, not go to back worry. to her roots. Crack shot finds her roots real quick. Okay. The only thing she was waiting on is to get herself a gun. Oh. Mm-hmm. This is some Which is movie literally. It I'm really like, is. Like in this like a movie right now. Literally my next sentence is Nellie Mae Madison bought a gun. Now, originally she intended to scare her husband into writing a note that would annul their marriage. That basically say, we're not married anymore. So that's originally why she bought the gun. But just before midnight on March 24th, 1934, Eric Madison was in bed arguing with Nellie, who was standing at the foot of the bed. Now, this is where Nellie shows her hand. Okay, she shows her gun and tells him that she wants the note written. He starts swearing at her. He reaches under the bed for a box of fucking butcher knives that he Uh -uh. just keeps under his bed like someone would their sex toys. That's creepy, for sure. A box of butcher knives. He hurls two of them at her really quickly. And as he turned to search for another knife, Nellie pumped five bullets into his back. I mean, she was defending herself. Well, that's the thing. He threw the knives first. Right? Right. right. He boinked a 16-year-old first. (laughs) He beat her. He beat her for six days first. Bragged to her about how he tricked her into the marriage. Right. And everyone had said, like, yeah, he found out about the inheritance and knew he was, and then proposed. Like, it wasn't, I proposed first. He found out about the inheritance first. You guys, I'm not mad about this. I know. I told you that we weren't really going to know who the victim in this was. Right. So other tenants, that could also be that you and I have had a real shit day and we're in some sort of mood. I'm living through Nellie right now. I know. Like, she's getting back at life and that's just what we want to do. Oh my God, you're so right. I had a super long day. So I'm like, yes, Nellie, get that gun. I'm... Nellie's got a gun. (laughs) Oh my God, I was thinking that earlier. (laughs) Are you surprised? No, not at all. We do share a brain. So he's got five bullets in his back, which I don't know if you know this, Amber, but that puts you in a real bad way. I would say he's probably not doing well right now. He's not thriving. He's not boinking any 16-year-olds anytime soon. No. Um, Other tenants did hear the shots, but they thought that they came from the studio, because remember, they lived across the street from Warner Brothers Studio. Oh, yeah. So, it, gosh, he did movie scenes. Yes. So, and actually, filmmakers were in that moment, in that time, excuse me, shooting a gangster film called Midnight Alibi. Yeah. What a perfect time. Which was a crime comedy, which I thought was really relevant, because so are Very. we. Yes. Yes, we are. The next day, a a visitor actually found Eric Madison dead, and his beautiful, dark-haired widow was nowhere to be seen. So, Nellie, my girl, this doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Nope, not for her. And the newspapers start going off. They start talking about how, well, they called her a beautiful, dark-haired widow. They called her all kinds of stuff, but the newspapers really become a problem. At first, and then they kind of help. So bear with me in this roller coaster ride we call Crime Curious. The Burbank police were acting on a tip when they found Nellie 
the afternoon of March 26th, hiding in the closet of a mountain cabin about 80 miles north of Los Angeles. So someone... I was just thinking today was March 26th, but it's actually tomorrow. Oh, my god! <laughs> That's gosh. why I looked at my phone. And this actually happened March 24th. That's crazy. That is crazy. Oh, this happened a year, a, a year ago. <laughs> just a year ago today. This is how long of a fucking day it's been. It's I'm, been a day. I'm thinking that 1934 was a year ago. But no, it just popped into my head. I'm like, yeah. this is like literally around this time. Yep, sure is. So yeah, she she was found on on March 26th. Now they were acting on a tip. Someone ratted her out. Oh, of she was course. hiding in a closet. Oh. So 80 miles away. I pictured her like on a horse. Just oh, like you, I'm sure she jumped bareback and rode. I hope 80 so. Miles. I'm sure. Dozens of reporters attended her inter- interrogation at the Burbank police station. Her lawyer advised her. And this is where it gets real bad for Nellie. Her lawyer advised her to deny that that was even Eric Madison at all. So at first she's like, nope, I den- she denies killing him. That's not even him. I don't know where my husband is. It gets real messy. Her lawyer is a shit her bag. Her attorney really sucks. So bad. So bad. Yes. He was probably, He's probably drinking. High on chloroform <laughs> and, and whiskey. Yes, that's exactly what he was doing. It was a hard time. It was, it was, but he was huffing and sipping. He's like, I don't know, just tell him, tell him this is not him. It's not even him. How are they going to prove it? It's not even him. That is now oh, the voice gosh. of, of oh, the Oh, for lawyer. sure. He comes back in a minute. Here's the other problem, though. She was forced to reveal her marital history. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, this... Oh. Ain't looking good, Nellie. <laughs> oh, eh. yeah. No judgment if you guys have been married no. or divorced for five, you know, five times in today's society. No big deal. I'm here for for it, but yeah, back then they you. were probably mm-hmm. like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Oh hell no. Uh, they weren't having it. So she was charged with first degree murder and jailed while awaiting trial. She became a massive focus of coverage for all of the big daily newspapers in Los Angeles. I'm sure. And it doesn't help, too, that she was really tall, had gorgeous dark hair. She was beautiful, big brown eyes. So they really, um, like, linked her to some of the deadly femme fatales that were featured in, like, Pulp Magazine at the time and different novels of the period. It's like they saw this thread and pulled at it mm-hmm. and just went with it, you know? The other thing, and I just, oh, this broke my heart, but, I mean, I get it, but I also think that it's relevant to some of the things that media does today. Artists were actually touching up photos of her to purposely make her look sinister. So they would, like, curl her lips up in more of, like, this creepy smile to make her look more evil. Oh, wow. Yeah. So people Isn't started that, hating her. Of course. Of course. Let's go over all of the ways that her trial and the police investigation was like a kick in the taint. Okay. Because. <laughs> and that never feels good. Never. Never. A lick, yes. A kick, never. <laughs> we say yes to a lick and no, no to, to a, a kick. kick. That's right. Here at Crime Curious. Can we put that on a shirt? Please. Done. It is done. Yeah. So they did not, the knives that were found, you know, that he threw at her first, 
They were never taken into evidence. Even though neighbors, of course, the crime scene, as always happens in these old-timey cases, the, the crime neighbors got to get in there. Yeah, it becomes a museum. Every time they're like, oh, we got to go see like, what it's happened. It's a normal thing and it's okay. Neighbors saw that, saw the knives. They knew her part of the story that eventually does come out can be confirmed. People saw those knives. They were just never lodged into evidence at all. She also had written the note out saying that she wasn't married. She was, and she was trying to force Eric with the gun to sign it. She did actually write that note out, but she burned it. So they didn't have that when she eventually does tell her story. I want to tell you about a book that goes into big detail on this case. It's really good. It was wrote in 2007. It is called The Enigma Woman, The Death Sentence of Nellie Mae Madison, Women in the West by Kathleen Carnes. Really good book, you guys. She went into major historical detail. I may read that. And got... Got into Nellie Mae's life. I'm interested in this case. It was so good. So I was mentioning this book because Kathleen points out that therapists today said clearly this was self-defense. She was having post-traumatic stress. But obviously none of these notions existed in the 1930s. So it's not even registering in people's minds that a woman would have to defend herself against Yeah, and that's so hard to wrap my brain around. Yes, as a therapist, it would be. and a woman. (laughs) Oh, right, you are that too. I see the tits now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're here. But no, isn't, I mean, but you're right though. They didn't even consider that. No, and furthermore, the district attorney, Baron Fitz, (laughs) that's his name. Baron, who do you think you are, Baron Fitz? (laughs) He knew the circumstances, Mm -hmm. still vowed to seek the death penalty against her. Oh, wow. Actually claiming, and I quote, her motive is of no concern to the prosecution. Yes. Okay. She's having knives thrown at her head. And was beat for six days prior to, after finding her husband in bed with a child. Right. This woman's been through hell. Right. Hence the post-traumatic stress. Prosecution doesn't care. Prosecution has no concern for her motive. I just feel like Baron Fitz is a man, but has a, has a the feminine high voice. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and we do declare. We I don't declare. even. So he went on to say she shot her husband in the back. <laughs> I love your. I love the voice. I don't know why, but. He's got a, you know he has a high-pitched voice. preposterous. Preposterous. We don't care what her motive was. Death penalty, that's it. Death penalty. Here's what is crazy about it. Until this moment, no woman had been executed in California, Amber. Oh, wow. So for him to all of a sudden get his nuts in his butt about, which is why his voice is high. I mean, (laughs) I didn't know. Now it makes sense. Yes. Goes without saying. But to, you know, to be like, well, I don't I don't care what her motive is. Mm-hmm. Death penalty to Death her. To her. Yes. Yeah. That was really Thank good. You. I, I liked that. She did stick her finger up. I in do. There, I too. always have to have the finger yes. up. Yes. So on June sixth, nineteen thirty four, the Los Angeles County District Attorney, Mr. Fitz, upped the stakes and announced, made it public, his intention to seek the death penalty. 
And I do think that some of this, if you think about it, she had been such a media rage that I, mm. I think that he saw an opportunity of, oh, I'm going to do this to big. get his get yep. his name. Like I could get, I could look like a total badass getting, and the people death will penalty. never know that my nuts are stuck in my butt. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we have totally cracked the. I case. have figured you out, buddy. Buran Fitz. <laughs> yeah, the trial actually began the following day after he announced what? he was going after the death penalty. You mean you mean to tell me? In the 1900s, they had quick trials. 1934, baby. All this. If they wanted someone dead, man. Next day. They moved quickly. Wow. To make matters even worse for Nellie, as if it could get any worse, um, she was assigned to the person that is known as the hanging judge because he was known for favoring prosecutors that went after the death penalty. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. So she has a lot of odds against her right now. She does. Not only that, but the prosecutor like brought in to the jury things like the bloodied sheets, pre, you know, prejudice testimony from various people. And it just wasn't a good situation for Nellie. Just so you know, the hanging judge's name was Charles Fricky. I am loving these names. Charles Fricky. It could just be Frick, but with a silent E at the end of it. Well, that's just boring. But I don't care. Right. So I, I want him to be Charles Fricky. Fricky. Uh, yeah, especially if he's known as the hanging judge. That's gross to me. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors actually, they summoned him. He had to testify. The judge who was overseeing the case got on the witness stand. <laughs> what? Really? Oh, yeah. Yes. Because he had used his stopwatch to count the three and a half second interval between the shots. And so he had to like testify to that he did during a reenactment of the shooting count out the three and a half seconds. But I'm kind of like, I'm sorry, but is that what? That's really odd. It is the 1930s. Right. In California. And this one, this whole thing is odd. A woman's never been executed before, and now all of a sudden she is because they don't care about her motive. I will say her defense attorneys were brothers Joseph and Frank Ryan. Well, they were reluctant to claim self-defense because of the sordid details of her life, which means her multiple marriages. The marriages, yeah. So that's why they gave her this stupid defense of, no, it wasn't me, and... That's not even, that wasn't even Eric, which of course they just called somebody, the defense or the prosecution called someone to testify that said that was Eric. I know him to be Eric and Mm -hmm. he be dead. (laughs) He be, he be dead. Yeah. So, wow, that was hard. And what her lawyers figured is that the bizarre mistaken identity would make jurors convict, you know, would would confuddle things enough that she wouldn't be convicted of first-degree murder. I also think that they're just kind of like, they're not going to convict a woman of first-degree murder when the penalty, when the death penalty's on the table. Like, a jury's not going to do that. As the verdict was read, on June 23rd, 1934, Nellie stood very calm, the eight-man, four-woman jury, found Nellie Madison guilty of murder and sentenced her to hang. 
No. And when that sentence was read and she remained calm, her ex-husband, William Brown, was in the courtroom, jumped to his feet, sat back down, and then began sobbing loudly. Oh. Yeah. On July 12th, she was driven to the California Institute for Women. She was placed into a specially constructed death row, like cell, to wait execution because no woman had been on death row before. So they couldn't put her in death row with the men. With the men. Uh. Right. So she still had to go to a female prison, but they didn't have a death row. So they're like, hey, closet number nine, that's now death row. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Her ex-husband, um, that I, William Brown, that sobbed in the courtroom, was begging her to tell the truth about the slaying, saying, tell them it was self-defense. Tell them your story. The 21st of June, 1935, she did confess to the murder, but explained the extreme abuse, both physical and mental, that was happening. Don't you know... Her lawyer voiced, and wait, what did we decide? That he was high on chloroform and drunk, yes. so he was probably had like yeah. a raspy. All right, so. He was like, hey. Yeah. Her lawyer voiced his outrage at her confession saying, it's a complete lie. <laughs> this is outrageous. Yes. I what? sound like uh, the sisters from The Simpsons. You really do? Oh, my hey God. Guys. What are their names? Oh, oh, God. They're the best. What were their names? People are Someone screaming help at us, us right Oh, now. they are. You know no, it. No. Yeah, so he's like, this is a complete surprise. <laughs> it's a lie. So she didn't bother telling her story to up until then. She told the, her lawyer, but the lawyers were like, no, no one's going to believe self-defense. So you've just, instead, they're going to believe that this isn't Eric Madison at all. Right, because that's the reasonable choice. Right. And so at this point in time, when... The lawyer is coming out to the newspapers saying that, you know, this is, this is a complete surprise. (laughs) Nellie fires his ass and the other brother and hired former Los Angeles prosecutor and prominent attorney Lloyd Nix. Now, he's got a name. He sounds more official. Yes. Then, reporter Aggie Underwood also pleaded Nellie's case to the press. So now the tables are kind of turning. Can we pause for a second? Of course. Patty and Selma. Patty and Selma. The the sisters. I had to look it up. Thank you. That is the sisters from the Sim. Yes, and you're right. You did sound exactly like that. Thank you. I'm very impressed. So now the tables turn a little bit because the press that was so mystified by her and made her this evil villain is now got Aggie Underwood that is pleading like, listen, more details have come out. She admitted to the murder. Yes. But this is why. Mm-hmm. And so the press kind of starts running with that part. I mean, it is still sellable, right? It is. Still a sellable story. Now, Judge Fricky remained unmoved, calling her story ridiculous. Yes, that's what's ridiculous in this story. <laughs> her telling the truth about being beaten by her husband and her husband throwing knives at her and being in bed with a 16-year-old, that's ridiculous. But it was totally plausible to p- try to pretend that Eric wasn't actually Eric and it was some random other right. dead dude in their bed, I, their marital I bed. I just see this judge being just like a woman. A hundred percent. Stupid woman. Stupid broad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Something like that. 
But when her version of events became known and the strong opposition of her death sentence started to arise, because remember, no one else had ever been sentenced to death. So there was a lot of opposition to this. This is Mm -hmm. a big deal. Yeah, it is. Governor Frank Merriam received hundreds of letters and affidavits demanding that the sentence be commuted. And as a matter of fact, all 12 jurors and the two alternates even petitioned to the governor wow. to have it annulled. Wow. They did not like sentencing, a, being the first jury to sentence a woman to death. I'm sure. Now, the police remained skeptical. Of course, the police that didn't take the knives that they found <laughs> that confirmed her story. While 20 neighbors were going right. through the crime yes. scene. Yes, yes, <laughs> yep. Until, so they're they're skeptical, until Eric Madison's former wife, Georgia Madison, emerges from the shadows and tells a very similar story of abuse. Now, journalists who had, journalists at this point in time who had previously been portraying Nellie as a villain here, gets a hold of this and starts really reporting on um, Georgia. Madison and what her story she had to tell. And I did find, I put this in here too. One newspaper actually like drew a cartoon sketch of her in her prison cell reaching toward barred windows and the sun. Oh, talk about pulling at the heartstrings of like the public, you know, like this is what it looks like for her. I'm sure a 1930s um, cell that they just had to like build there quickly. was there was a rat in the corner. Yeah, don't you think? I'm sure, it was awful. Yes, just a hole in the ground for her to do her business. Yeah. And letters, like I said, letters of the public came pouring into the governor on September sixteenth, nineteen thirty-five. Sixteen days before her scheduled hanging, they commuted her death sentence to life in prison. The governor did. So at this point, now she's not on death row. But she's still in prison for the rest of her life. Right. So from behind bars, Nellie Mae Madison waged a letter writing campaign to get her sentence reduced. It took, so that was 1935. So in 19, it was December 31st, 1942, when Governor Culbert Olson complied with her written letters begging. Exactly nine years after the slaying to the date. March 24th, 1934, Nellie Mae Madison left prison a free woman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is. It, took, it did take nine years of her, like, constantly begging and other people writing, the you know, the governor who actually um, commuted her sentence and then the next governor in to reduce her sentence. I'm glad because it really would suck to know she spent her whole life in prison for this guy. I mean, he, I know. he I was agree. a wiener. Yeah, I, nine years is, <laughs> he was a very small wiener. He had a very small wiener. <laughs> he was, yes. Yeah. Yes. Just, like, I'm sorry, but he sounds horrible and... Oh, yeah, he definitely, I mean, yeah, and uh, you can be a horrible person and not deserve to be murdered, but don't throw, but what do you expect when you're throwing knives at someone who has a gun? Exactly. I don't know. I think 
our listeners can tell we're definitely more on Nellie's side on this one. Oh my God, yes. So not usually how we are because typically we have all the empathy in the world for victims. Like you don't deserve to be murdered. Right. But And nobody deserves to be murdered. But like what are you supposed to do when someone's chucking knives at you? For sure. I can tell you if I've got a gun in my hand and someone is whipping knives at me, I'm probably going to at least try to get one off in the shin or something. A warning shot. Something. Yes. Yeah. Nellie moved to San Bernardino and changed her name to Helen Brown, which, remember, her ex-husband that was there in the courtroom with her, his last name was Brown. Oh, that's right. William Brown. She married for the sixth time in 1944 to a house painter named John Wagner. And at the age of 58, she died of a stroke in 1953, still married to John Wagner. So that did last almost 10 years. Okay, That's her so longest. She found rel- her a good one. Yeah. Longest relationship, the end of her life. 58, though, really young. You know, I give a girl some credit for getting back out there, getting a sixth marriage. Like, yes, putting all the, the murdery things behind her. <laughs> yeah. The prison and the true crimey stuff. And yeah. she found love again. She did. She did. Wow. Her life trial and death sentence provided a critical window into gender ideologies and the judicial practices of 1930s and the 1940s, and even a glimpse into the future. Her case was a media-driven culture based on sex and sensation and represented a, that was very unusual for the time. Right. Because prior to this, like you just didn't talk about, your husband was allowed to beat you. I mean, essentially. It was just it, a thing. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't talk about it. And it certainly wasn't something that's like prosecuted. They might eventually grant you a divorce on those grounds, but not something where the guy's going to go away for, right. you know, anything like that or have self-defense ag- against murdering for it. I also love at the time that she was married six times. Like, you know, because I'm sure that oh, that was like, oh. And that was the big problem surrounding her poli- her criminal investigation and surrounding the media. Her, quote, sordid history, as they were saying, was held against her completely to make assumptions about her and to continue to punish her. Like, that in itself right. was why she needed to fry. Well, hang. Excuse me. Because she, she was yeah married five, five times. Five times. How dare her? Mm-hmm. That means she slept with five different men. Right. That's It does kind of have that tone to it. Like, that's... that. Mm-hmm. Went into consideration of that she should be punished. A hundred percent. It was it was completely adding fuel to the fire and making them judge her completely. And like I love how they're just jumping from she's been married to five men, so she's probably a murderer. <laughs> right. Thanks for that. Has to be connection. Has to be. That's cool. Let's that like where do we where do we even connect those? But that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Gosh, and I I don't, this is just crazy to me that she actually got to be free. Yes. That's the part that's crazy because. I know, they they finally heard her. And it wasn't just, I mean, it was the help of the media that wrote to the community. Everyone was, I I do think that once they heard about it and once her sentence was was taken to life in prison and they learned more, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. I wonder how many of those letters that were written to the governor 
were from women who were being abused by their husbands themselves. So they know that it can happen. How many times had they considered killing their own husband? Right. And she was, she just happened to do it, follow through with it. And so it does make me wonder how many of those letters were written by women who had suffered as much as she I would like to think at least quite a few. Yeah. So that in in the end ends up helping her. But if you want to know a lot more about the history of her and whatnot, catch that book, The Enigma Woman by uh, Catherine Carnes, Kathleen Carnes. I keep calling her Catherine. It's Kathleen. Sorry, man. So, (laughs) man, man. No, that was a good, good story. Okay, so I have a brain bath for you that was sent in by one of our Patreons. Oh, yay. Yes, Rachel, thank you. We we got it. We're reading it. We appreciate your support. We love it when people send brain baths. Yes, this is this is the best. Here is the title. This is from a Lad Bible Menu. Sure. Woman hospitalized with trapped gas as she's not yet on farting terms with boyfriend. Oh my gosh. A singer in Brazil says she was hospitalized with trapped gas because she's not yet on farting terms with her boyfriend. Vivian D. U. Quaraz Perina, known by her stage name Poca. Which she her career is now ruined. <laughs> right. <laughs> Forever. Well, she's the one that shared her gas problem on Instagram. Okay. So she's comfortable sharing it with the world, just not her boyfriend. Just not her man. The twenty seven year old posted images of herself in the hospital. Uh, to her 15.7 million followers. Oh my gosh. Yep. I woke up at 5.30 a.m. with severe stomach pains and ended up in the hospital, she said. However, the singer-songwriter assured her followers that she's now okay. She added, but that's it, guys. I'm now fine. Just not accumulating, just an accumulation of trapped farts. That's she what ad- she wrote. Yep. I love this. She advised her female fine fans, Girls, don't be ashamed to fart in front of your guy because what's really embarrassing is not letting your guy sleep because you're in discomfort going to the hospital with your guy and the diagnosis being trapped farts. Good point. That is more embarrassing. Yes, she raises a very good point. She blamed a TikTok thread that suggested, suggested that she ignore the stomach pains, which is exactly what she did. And as a result, she underwent several tests before being told what the problem was. Was she trying to self-medicate herself on TikTok? Right. Is that a thing now? Can we? I really hope that that's not. Guys, please don't get your medical advice from TikTok. (laughs) Get very little from there as a matter of fact. We, we, I mean, at least use Google. Yeah. Look for something. Uh, So apparently she launched her career in 2012 and um, changed her name. And she's doing very well for her stuff, for herself. And if you're wondering... TikTok medic Dr. Karen Raj has explained the disgusting reason why we should never hold in a fart. I want to hear this for sure. Dr. Raj says that on average, people fart 14 times a day. And if someone tells you that they don't fart, they are lying. (laughs) Nope, it's not true. I I don't believe it. uh, Yeah. He adds that not letting a fart out can have gross consequences. In the video, he said, if you hold a fart too long, it can be reabsorbed into your bloodstream and breathed out when you exhale. No. 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 (laughs) 
you have fart blood and then you Amber! What? My no. breath has been fart breath. I don't <laughs> fart in front of my husband. I know you don't. I mean, I'm not saying I don't go do it in another room. I just don't. I just don't do it in front of him. I don't know what I'm more grossed out about the fart being in my blood or so coming like my body, out your mouth. Right. Which one is worse? My body being a fart is really unsettling to me. I wasn't prepared for this slap in the face. <laughs> no. Rachel, you've really undone me with this well, article. I guess if I have a client and I, you know, got to do what I got to do, I will you explain. Just explain. If I don't let this go, it goes into my bloodstream <laughs> and it comes out my mouth. I'm sorry. But you cannot be responsible for that kind of toxicity in and, my life. And then look for my article out there when I get fired. <laughs> right. We'll put it on an episode. Oh, my gosh. I, the the uh, author writes, that certainly doesn't sound too good. Better out than in, as they say. I'm starting yep. to understand what that means. You know, Shrek says that all the time. Better out than in. Yes, he does. It, now it makes sense. I get it. You've got to just get it that out. That might actually be how you become an ogre. Holding oh. in your farts too oh long. You just turn green with all, like toxic fart yes. waste. With all the, the fart gas just built up in your body. See, you've got to you got to let it out. Just tell just tell Matt that. Just be like better out than in. Yes, cuz yeah. otherwise when I kiss you with this mouth, it might be my fart I held my in. Farts. <laughs> Oh, this oh is my the best. God. Now I'm going to question every time I smell bad breath, I'm going to say, baby, you've been holding out. You need to release that. You've been holding on those farts. You let those go. Cleaner breath that way. That is so Better disgusting. Blood. That is so disgusting. That really happens. Wow. We've learned something well, today. The TikTok doctor says so. The TikTok. It's <laughs> true. It's got to be true. Literally three minutes ago, I just told our listeners not to get medical advice from TikTok. And here I am gobbling it up like, that's exactly what happens. Yep. Oh, my God. We all literally have fart breath if you hold them in. I believe it. <laughs> oh, that's oh a my God. I'm so glad she shared that. Me too. We had a, a laugh and some education today. We did. Some historical perspectives mm-hmm. of female ideology. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well... You get more than just a true crime podcast. You really do. Listen to Crime Curious. You really do. Hope you enjoy that. If you'd like more of us, join our Patreon. We have all kinds of fun in our group, and uh, you get extra episodes. So there's that. It's huge. It's fun. It's a fun fun group. And then uh, what else? Uh, Follow us on social media too, so that you can see pictures of all of our cases cases and things we want to post. And uh, yeah, until. Next time, everyone, keep it curious. Keep listening. Fart freely. Please keep farting. (laughs) Please. (laughs) For your health. For your health. And wellness. Yes. All right, guys. All right, till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I can't believe we ended on farts. (laughs) 